Hi, I'm Lisa Kennedy and you're listening to The Bra and the Brave. This podcast celebrates the creative and the courageous. I am fascinated by those who are talented, forward-thinking and inquisitive. Sharing their stories, wisdom and everything in between, The Bra and the Brave is about people and their passions. So on to today's episode... I mean, I feel as if we should be doing it in person, but then if we left it to in person, it might just never happen because I'm probably speaking to the busiest, most needed, required person that I know. <laughs> Rachel Brown, thank you so much for being on the Broad the Brave. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I mean, I'm not sure I'm that busy, but I am four hours away now that I live up by the beach in the north of Scotland. So we probably would have, uh, but we should have done this at the beach, actually. That would have been lovely. Why did I not think of that? I'm like, oh, I must come Mm, and visit you. You must. (laughs) Rachel, I feel like I've... You've been on my radar for a long time and when we met online, albeit, back during the old pandemic Mm. days, I was just like, yeah, I'm sure we've connected over the years through arts and community work and stuff. Um, Like, basically, anybody that speaks of your work and what you do, you know, it's all positive. It's all very highly spoken of. Like, your work is just so sought after and so appreciated by so many. I mean, that's such a lovely thing. I think um, I was very conscious during the pandemic that in the work that we do, which is all about creativity, entrepreneurship, community, that uh, we had to really step up and step in. And if we didn't, um, Mm. then there would be a gap or that people really would have felt alone and I think that was one of the biggest um, worries that I certainly had around the community that we that we operate within is that so much mm-hmm. is around freelance, so much is around small enterprise, so much is around the individual that when pandemic hit and we weren't able to network in the same way or get together in the same way or communicate in the same way, that actually people would be quite lonely and that's a terrible thing. Loneliness is really is a terrible thing and yeah, so we, we just kind of went for it. I'm glad we did. It didn't, it's not without its challenges. It's bonkers. It's quite stressful. <laughs> it's quite stressful. But actually, actually, um, you know, we've got a community now of 3,700 people and we we listen and we, we try and do our best. And I, and I think one of the one of the big things for me, which I'm sure is the same for, for you, Lisa, and others um, that you've spoken with, is that this is kind of a culmination of 20 years worth of graft getting to this point. So I've made loads of mistakes. I've made loads of successes, probably more mistakes than successes for sure. Um, and I've learned along the way and I've listened along the way. And I think what happened at the point of pandemic where we really had to roll our sleeves up and get stuck in is that you either go one of two ways. You go you go internal or you go external. And I, and I just felt it was really important for us to be external and I think that the the lessons I've learned over the years maybe made me more humble about all of that stuff and just really wanted to to create the environment where people genuinely where people could flourish well you definitely did that for me because during the pandemic that's when I discovered so you're at the helm of CEC chief exec of the future economy company and yeah just like that I was drawn to the internet for just that need for communication like 
connection with people during the pandemic like as someone who works in the arts and needs to be in the room you know it was like well you can't do your job now and you can't do your podcasts because you know I had done like 70 odd episodes in person and I was just gravitated to the internet and by luck um, I found CEC and right away just the message that you are communicating and continue to communicate and the the services that CEC provide their members it just felt like a community straight away. Like the first event that I went to online, I was like, oh, this is cool. This, I, I want to be in this space. How did I, you know, I did that classic of, how did I not know about this before now? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was just like, it was so lovely to be a part of. I remember going to your Christmas mm-hmm. event in 2020 and um, yeah, just feeling like we're back with people again, even though we were in our, I was in this cupboard. <laughs> um, and, you know, the joy is that then, you know, I, I got to then join the team at CEC and I've seen firsthand like the, the services, the opportunities, just that community, that connection. So I'm wondering for you, like in terms of that creative part of Creative Entrepreneurs Club, what has creativity meant to you in your life thus far? Gosh, that's a good question. That's a big question. I think like many people going way, way, way back to sort of school days back, um, I was absolutely the kind of person that didn't really fit in anywhere. I had loads of acquaintances, but not a lot of friends. I was always in one side and then another side and kind of floated about, but a social butterfly, we would call it now probably. But I was utterly um, traumatised by school and I just didn't like it. And it didn't like me, actually. (laughs) More to the point, school didn't really like me. Kind of tolerated me for a while, but I just didn't fit. And I had this awful experience where I kind of knew what was going on. I was kind of pretty um, socially aware. I was had maybe emotional empathy. I kind of got what was going on. I understood what was going on in the classroom. I just couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Um, and it kind of it kind of sparked a passion in me around. Well, why not? You know, why am I why am I being different? Why why do I get picked on in this way? Why why do I have to find it so hard to fit in, yet at the same time feel the need to be at the centre of something? And I just couldn't find my place. And that was, that stayed with me all through my, my school years. Um, and I suppose the older you get, the more you reflect on how these things inform you. Um, the Probably the bit that for me that was really important was my mum and dad were always really creative. They always encouraged me to be super, you know, they always embraced everything that I did. I was mm-hmm. a total daddy's girl, you know, my, I would walk into the room and like a fanfare would start. My dad would just be like cheering me on at every single available opportunity. Oh, that's so lovely. And it was so lovely. Looking back, it was so lovely. And I never thought about it at the time because we grew up in what would be considered poverty. Um, you know, we didn't have a lot, but I remember always, always, always being given choice. And as you kind of get older, these things stick with you, you know, and, you know, especially as a young woman, when I was early on, you know, working in the music industry and early on working in different communities, you realise how many people around you don't always have choice. Creativity was the one thing that I latched on quite quickly. It enabled people to have a voice, it enabled people to express themselves. I had got so much out of finding my own feet with creativity that, Actually, it had such an influence on so many aspects of your life. It's not just 
being creative for creative sake, you know. It's being able to handle yourself in social situations. It's being able to communicate with people who may or may not be in the same social sphere or circle as you. It's, it's a whole range of different things. Um, and my mum worked in the community. My mum, we, we grew up in Leith. Uh, in the 90s which was mental and my mum worked in the community and I used to go to the community groups with her and I just I got a massive passion for it I just I loved to sing and I loved to dance and I loved to engage with people and I could see that if I created an environment where people could do that then great things would happen and what a laugh we would have and I kind of just naturally kept falling into that you would call it leadership now, but, you know, when you're 19 or whatever, you don't call it any of that. But I kind of naturally started falling into that. Mm. And I just kind of went through a series of loads of jobs, loads of stuff, loads of things going on. And always found my way back to creativity as, yes, the art form, but also the skill that creativity brings. Um, so for me, it's it's huge. You know, I mean, I firmly believe now, as you well know, that the future of our economy is all about creativity and entrepreneurship. It's all about critical thinking, problem solving, being, um, you know, flight of foot, being able to think problems through that are not um, difficult, like not approaching a problem like, oh, there's a problem that's really difficult. Come and go, right, what is the solution? We've got creative thinking here all around us. At the same time as creativity being the thing that makes us more human than we've ever been before. You know, it's a skill that is the hardest to automate. And actually, when you start to really get into it, and start to kind of uh, sort of embrace creativity in its fullest sense. It's hard to think at all how we can be so linear in some of our choices going forward, especially at the moment. Some of the challenges we've got in, in, within the environment and within the society, because actually it gives you so many options. And it, for me, especially as a young woman, working class woman, growing up in life, it gave me choice. When you reflect on it, being able to have choices is really it's really fundamental. And I. It's huge. And I kind of live my life by that. I always want people around me to have a choice. I always want to ensure that the create that you know, the way that we create projects or programs or community or whatever it is we do, that people have had a choice. And I've worked along the years, as you have with many children and young people who find themselves in circumstances where choice is limited or non existent. And creativity, the arts, all of that experience gives a voice to enable choice, but at the same time you just start to see how brilliant people are. And I think that like that scared kind of aspect of like when choice is presented to you and you've not been asked your opinion, like uh, working with young, I've said this before in the podcast, or working with young people, you know, quite often you'll set like a creative task and the boundaries, you know, you're bringing the parameters so it doesn't seem too big, it doesn't seem too overwhelming. And, you know, you're just like, you know, you've got a choice of, I don't know, five moves, a jump, a spin, a freeze, you know, and it's just like, you can see sometimes like, the bewilderment the bamboozlement of i need to get this right i'm not sure what you're mm-hmm. asking me to choose here and i'm like literally do we like choose whatever comes to mind like you cannot get this wrong and you can just see and adults too actually sometimes when you present choice like that they're just like what like you're going to tell me what's right and i'm like this is creativity like we're making something from scratch like you can't get it wrong do you know what i mean as long as we're safe and we're enjoying ourselves, then we're getting it right I've tried not to, but I think I do take it for granted a lot of the time that, you know, that is just a natural thing to me to walk into a room, to be able to hold space for people is such a gift and that I will just choose to do something and that'll be all right in that Mm -hmm. moment. Whereas other people, that just seems like totally alien concept. And I guess for you thinking back to school then, that 
creativity aspect, like being creative about how you learn. I guess looking back, you're like that 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 wasn't happening for me. Like those choices no. weren't an option for me. No, totally. I mean, I learn by doing and I learn by talking. I'm a talker, so if I've got a problem, I'll talk mm. it out. And you know, my my own children who are nine and ten. Uh, they're quite used to it but I talk to myself all the time I tell you see the fact that you could get headphones and wear them walking down the street it's my favourite thing in the whole world because I can talk to myself and everybody thinks you're on the phone to somebody yeah. and, and I spend that's so good. good nobody knows you've got your headphones in just assume that you're on the phone to somebody you know I laugh at my own jokes <laughs> I mean the whole thing's ridiculous right but I love that kind of talking it out to solve a problem and um, mm. it took me a long time to really embrace all of that. It took me a long time to embrace how I learn. It took me a long time to embrace my own particular learning style, my own challenges around ADHD and dyslexia and all those things. But actually, when you when you find your sweet spot, and I think this is a, you know, this is a Scottish thing, and I, I talk about this quite a lot. Actually, this is a Scottish thing. So, you know, we're we're terrified of getting it wrong. We're te- you know, like you just quickly said, what is the answer? You're asking me to jump or spin or hop. Mm-hmm. What is? What do you want me to do? You know, we're almost conditioned, terrified to get it wrong. So you've got all these people that are terrified of, and I don't like to use the word failure. And I'm, I know a lot of people in the world that I'm in at the moment do. They're like, oh yeah, embrace the failure. I'm not really big on the word, but at the same time, I think that you, you got to embrace getting it right or wrong, right? You got to embrace that. It's a very Scottish thing. We don't want to get it wrong. Because we don't want to be seen as looking silly. But at the same time, we don't want to be too good at something. We don't want to be too successful. Because then you've got sort of tall poppy syndrome or whatever it is they call it. And and you go, oh, you know, get back in your box. Who are you? I mean, I remember lots of people say things like, oh, Rachel Brown, yeah, she's dead ambitious. As if that's a really bad thing, you know. How very dare you be an ambitious. And, and, you know, you hear it all the time, like when some of the choices I have to make are quite challenging, right, as you know. And, and, and I'm, I'm in and amongst a lot of different people. I'm in government a lot. I'm in different stakeholders' environments I'm a lot. I'm in doing different things. And if I suggest something, you know, well, if a counterpart, a male counterpart in my world suggests something, that, oh, that, people go, that's really strategic. It's dead strategic. If I suggest the same things like, mm, Rachel, she's ambitious. She's calculated. That was a calculated move. And the language is fundamentally different between one or the other. And it just drives me insane. And, you know, so we're, we're sort of too scared to be successful in a lot of ways because you get put back in your box. Get back in your box. How dare you? So you've got this kind of bit where people are too scared to be successful and they're too scared to fail. So what we have, especially in the world of creativity, arts and culture, we have these incredible, and I'm genuine, like incredible people operating in the mediocre middle. We just won't realise their potential at either side. And, you know, we need to stop that. <laughs> I mean, just fundamentally, we just need to stop that. <laughs> stop it stop right it now. Right now, just come on, people. And we need to stop it because actually, what kind of world are we creating? We've gone through so much epic change the last you know, three years. So every moment is a defining moment in history. And why are we here? Do you know, why are we here? We're, we're, we're in a very slippery slope, I think, um, in the current political environment, um, especially nationally, you know, from a UK perspective. We're putting money before a lot of things. And I say this type of thing a lot. People say, oh, what are you? You're the creative person, you know. I walk into many meetings or on Zoom calls, you know, and I've got, uh, you know, a red hat on and flipping you know bright blue jumper with orange nails and yellow glasses and everybody goes oh god here she comes 
here comes the creative and everybody <laughs> expects you to behave in a particular way. And I'm like, guys, this is a slippery slope. What are we doing here? This, this is absolute nonsense. Because actually we're here to create something brilliant, right? We're, cute. we're here to put our mark on the world. We're only here once. You know, somebody always says, you know, the things you only live once. And I'm like, nah, you live every day. You die once, but you live every day. And actually, you know, let's just kick the door in and get something moving and be the best versions of ourselves we can be. And I think if we play a small part in pushing that door, that smashing that ceiling, whatever it is, the words that, that people want to use, then I think we do have a kind of, you know, we've got we've got an obligation to do that because, you know, as a woman growing up, I had choice and, and I have to exercise that choice or else I'd be doing, certainly my mum, I would feel a disservice who's, who's, who's an inspiration. Mm. Um, so I think there's a kind of lots in there that's about creating the environment for success in a genuine way and, and using creativity as the skill to embrace. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't see themselves no. as, as creative no. because they uh, assimilate that with painting pictures or, you know, doing a dance or whatever. And you're like, yeah, that, that, that could be that. But everybody has a creative bone in their body. Like they have, it's whether you choose or whether you recognise that and tap into that and lean into that, you know. And I think having now worked for CC for some time, like I... I, th- I think because I've just thought of myself as playing mm-hmm. at shops yeah. a lot of the time. I'm like, I'm just figuring it. I'm just making this up kind of thing. <laughs> and listening to you speak and, and the rest of the team as well and that more like the kind of business aspect and the entrepreneurship yeah. aspect of it. I've not really seen myself as an entrepreneur. I'm like, that sounds like a businessy word. I'm over here making dances and painting mm-hmm. pictures, mm-hmm. if you like. And and to hear you speak and and, and real, basically just realise yeah I have been running a business I am a freelance artist who runs a successful yeah. business on their own and has done for some time but it's just not recognising that and I think it's leaning into that again that not allowing yourself to like stick your head above the parapet and say well, like I'm actually here and I'm actually I know what I'm doing kind of thing and I wonder was it your family do you think predominantly that gave you the confidence because it sounds like it was a challenging start at school and stuff and not feeling that you fit in and not being understood and not really sure where things are going and it sounds like your family were super super supportive but where do you get the confidence to be who I know now to be Rachel Brown and the things that you achieve on a daily basis I'm like how do you get there, you get there? is that like just like one big leap or is there several hurdles I don't know I mean I think um I Gosh, that's a good question. I mean, it's funny because I actually don't... Really funny, actually, because I don't like doing interviews where I talk about myself a lot. Well, sorry. <laughs> so there we are. Um, so that, that's probably why we've taken a while to get together. I I prefer to talk about you guys and to talk about stuff, and I feel more comfortable about that. So there's a certain level of confidence that comes when you're able to distance yourself from the narratives that you've got on a daily basis. However, in saying that, uh, I I don't take myself too seriously. Like I I actually don't really care. Like for all the right reasons, for all the right reasons, I don't. You know. Yes, that's so <laughs> you summed up. Actually, I emailed you about something recently, and you were like, 
no disrespect, Lisa, but I, I don't care. Just like, as long as it gets done. And I was like, I love that. Thank you so much. You've literally just taken the weight off my shoulder. You literally read my mind and you knew what I needed you to say. And you were like, I just don't care. And I'm like, great, brilliant, done. Thank you so much. Yeah. Love it. I mean, and, but genuinely for all the right reasons. So my confidence comes from probably two areas. One, I don't take myself that seriously. And I really, you know, I like to, I like to have a laugh, right? People are good. People are funny. And I, and I like to find the good parts of people. There are, there are very few people that I genuinely, really, there are very few people that I, that I dislike in the world. There are some people I choose not to um, have a glass of wine with, uh, and that's fine. But there are very few people I dislike because I like to see how people work and tick. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by people. I love nothing more than people watching, you know, sitting about uh, outdoors in a cafe or something. And, you know, like old cliche of just total people watching. I love it. I love watching people's behaviour. I'm fascinated by how people, like what people purchase in supermarkets I follow people around supermarkets all the time watching how they buy things oh it's amazing I don't get kicked out most of the time and I'm obsessed by people um like why do people choose to to do the things they do like why do people choose you know something blue or something red or why do people choose a particular product or a particular service what is the behavior behind that how do we get into that? And that kind of comes from my love of social business, I think, where I spend a lot of my time um, understanding how people make those choices and how you communicate those choices. So if you want to buy a social product, what's the motivation behind that? So I get I get a lot from that sort of watching behaviour and then not taking myself too seriously in amongst that. Uh, the other thing that, that, that within not taking that myself too seriously is that you can, by creating a... And you know this, right? You're a fantastic facilitator. You're an incredible workshop enabler, right? Within the space that you do that in. If you create the environment, you can get a lot out of people. So if I can create the environment of fun, business can be fun. Business can be interesting. Business can be motivating. That that piece is like, let's just do it. Come on, what's the worst that can happen? Let's just try it. Um, if I can create that environment, it's incredible what gets done. And it's incredible how motivated people become. And it's that classic thing that, you know, it takes more facial muscles to frown than it does to smile. So if you're in if you're in an environment where you're saying, let's come in, I'll create this safe, welcoming space for you. I don't take myself too seriously. Let's just do it. And as you sort of build that up over what feels like many years now, you gain a lot of confidence from that. And you gain a lot of confidence where people say, you're good at what you do. And rather than going, oh, yeah, well, it could have been better. I'm just like, yeah, thanks. What's next? So there, there's that kind of aspect. The, the, the flip side of that, where not a lot of people perhaps know this about me, very, really, um, is that I, I, um, I'm I, getting fidgety. Like, I've just started fidgeting amongst myself. My, my twitch will come in. I've got a twitch and everything. I'm going to start stuttering in a minute. I can, I can feel it. I, I prepare for everything. So I... If, if you're ask, if you ever said to me, "Oh, Rachel, you know, Friday you need to go and speak to the government about this, that, and the next thing," I'll I'll be up reading their strategies left, right, and centre, and I'll know everything about it, and I'll be quoting it back mm. to people, and and I make sure I'm never caught out. One of my biggest fears, and I think this is, I mean, this has happened to me many times in my life where I've made mistakes of, on other people's time. Of course, um, when you're caught out and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, I'm vulnerable there," because actually, it's hard. You know, it's hard. Sometimes people think I'm a broken record on this, but I'm never going to stop. 
it's hard being a working class educated girl trying to make her way in the world. It's difficult. Now I'm fortunate. I have choice. I have I have a different. I have a background. You know, but it's difficult. Um, and you know there are other women that have much more challenging environments than I have. Hundred percent. But I don't like being caught out in a situation where I'm supposed to be representing not only myself, but others well. And very often in that environment, I'm very often maybe one or two women in the room. And very often I'm the only woman that looks like me. Um, and by looking like me, I mean, you know, all the colours, um, all the joy, all the hair, right? And all and everybody's like, oh, you know, you got to see everybody. You're in those kind of meetings, you know, everybody has to be serious. Business! government strategy everybody said serious and I'm like everybody's self-important that's another conversation for another day so I think that mm-hmm. like I, I spend time knowing lots of things um so I'm definitely you know jack of all trades master of none type of vibe but I like to know how it fits together so for example you know we're talking about creativity and and entrepreneurship and creative economy and creative enterprise and creative and people like where does that all fit in and why do people like you and others don't get the financial support that you required through pandemic and others what are the choices there what what is the impact that that actually the industry that we support makes Um, and how do we create an environment to make that better it's not linear it's really quite rich and and I like to be able to argue the fact that um that those things are worthwhile but in order to do that with confidence you've got to be prepared on one hand and the other hand you can't take yourself too seriously because if you get it wrong you can come away feeling dreadful and actually people do the the power plays in these meetings people try to control those meetings and the power plays that go on are, are quite extraordinary and I just like to be in control of that my own way. And I think it's that kind of feeling, i sort of at the point in my life now, I mean, I'm going to be 50 next year. I think that you get to a point in your life where you just, like, I don't give a toss now. That's so liberating. Like, I feel like that with the old photo as well. Like, there's, like, I know it's just a number and, you know, it, literally it's just like, well, you know, what's the difference between 39 and 40? But there is something about a milestone birthday you know, or an anniversary or something that kind of makes you like pause for reflection. I think it's a bit like Hogmanay and it? it's like the turn of a new year. You're always like, right, this year is going to be the. Do you know what I mean? But I think spins around the planet, you're just like, right, what have I learned? What is important? What can I just put in the bin now? 100%. Like? I started my community arts life when I was 20, like 1920. I've been doing this for 30 years and, and various guises and various things I mean what I do now is what I'm supposed to do I firmly believe that I firmly believe I've had the journey I've found my place and um, I'm going to kick the arse out of it until I can't that's so lovely to like have found that take 25 years to get there Um, I think you need as you say you need to lean into these things you need to settle into them because there's lots of good decisions being made and there's lots of terrible decisions being made but you've got to be open to what you've learned from them well, I think that's the big the big problem is there's there we're not you know, there's not a lot of learning happening in places from past mistakes. And you know, and to be downplaying the arts and, you know, kinda of belittling it and, you know, going, Oh, you're ambitious and you know, you're like, wait a minute, like look at what we're getting majorly wrong. Do you not think it's time for a bit of creative thinking, like a bit outside the box, like, let's just like choose this up, like shake things up, like 
why does that seem so radical and silly? 100%. And actually, I think sometimes we're in, in the arts and creativity world, we're our own worst enemy about that. We, we, we try, we do have those conversations internally a lot. And I think that it's maybe not as, as open and as productive as it should be. There's a, there's a lot of, you know, criteria and opinions of, of, of how people try and control situations. And I think that that does have to change because in other sectors, it's not always like that. You know, there's 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 different views of what success looks like. And I think we do we struggle in arts and creativity about what success looks like. Um, and we have value judgments on things that are very linear, I would argue, that, that don't always... Um, that don't always have a positive outcome or a, or a positive impact. And I think, you know, the time has come really not necessarily to, yes, to do things differently, right, but to do things in a way that is really genuine, you know, that's really kind of authentic and it means something to people. Nodding, nodding. nodding. <laughs> Why shouldn't we have fun at work? Why shouldn't we have a laugh at work? Why shouldn't we all enjoy ourselves and learn and be better than we are? Why does it have to be so, you know, 50 hours a week and so tough? And, and you know, we can have richness in our lives um, and we can we can we can make things better. I did a years ago, I wrote a lecture on the Star Trek effect and uh, I like Star Wars as well. And I'm not going to alienate anybody and get into the whole debate about it. I'm like, I like all of it. I'm, I'm really, <laughs> even Babylon 5. I mean, I'm into all of it. Right, the expanse for everybody listening. I've got it all covered, right? I've got all the sci-fi covered, but and I'm the person that's going. I've not seen either, <laughs> well, so this is an education. I can't. I, yeah, <laughs> I might have to judge you for that, Lisa. Even though I've said I would never. You're I'm here for it. I'm here for the education. education. So the Star Trek effect is, is kind of you know that sort of being better than than you were. You know, there's they they, they have a different uh, pursuit, right? So it's the pursuit of exploration and adventure and going where no one has gone before and the kind of energy around all of that, the kind of constant curiosity and, and the way that the innovations come and problems are solved because they're trying to make things better in the pursuit of, of something that they haven't discovered yet. So I did a lecture about, you know, actually that's what creativity and entrepreneurship really is. And actually if we, if we did all that and we look at the values that we want to create around us, you know, maybe we might get to the stars and have the Star Trek effect. And, um, you know, it's just something really kind of, it feels, you know, after the sort of events of the last few years of pandemic, it feels like we're on the precipice of, of having to take control a wee bit, you know. And, and in Star Trek, eh, there's different eh, cultures and there's different um, environments and, and different uh, uh, people from, from lots of different walks of life. But there is an equality and an, an equitable approach to things mm. yes there's a hierarchy and all that but actually there's a really interesting piece around leadership and everything that comes into it i sort of it's, i think it's, it's interesting kind of equating some of that stuff back into what kind of world are we creating I like that yeah it was good i remember though i was doing it, it was hilarious i was doing it and i had a lot fairly large american audience one who can couldn't keep up my scottish accent in the first place and two were just like this isn't serious stuff <laughs> And they were just like, what is this <laughs> mad person going on about? And that's one of the things I, lo- I really get a kick out of doing as well is is dropping in something that makes you question stuff. No answers given, just question a few things. And people go away and goes, what? what was that about again? Why was that interesting or important? And actually start getting people to 
to come back with something that is not um, that is not just accepted that we can have a debate about yeah but I think it's really important to have people like you in the space of the creative industries you have like a hands-on experience of that community work being in spaces with people more walks of life making stuff inspiring people people inspiring you like so you've done the like you've done the grassroots level and now you've decided that the thing you liked the most about that was the helping others the taking the knowledge and the things that you've learned and the things you continue to learn to impact other people's creativity not necessarily your own although you're still obviously being a creative person but you've now taken that role of I'm going to help you expand, I'm going to help you find your best self in, in mm-hmm. your business and make it sustainable and make it authentic, like you said, and genuine. Because it's great to have colleagues around you that are doing the same thing as you. You know, so like I know composers and theatre makers and stuff, like we're all doing our thing and it's great to be able to collaborate and ask questions and whatnot. But I think you do like you ask the hard questions and you point out the obvious things that somebody like me would be like yeah I know but I'm just (laughs) you can't see me now but I'm claiming I'm a wee hole and I'm like I don't want to think about that like the business Mm. stuff and like you said earlier on like it might seem scary and it might seem like you don't want to do that but but that you can't really avoid that do you know what I mean? It's like going on a bear hunt. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. You have to like go through that. So best business book ever totally. written. Going on a bear hunt. And it's just like an aspect of running your own business. And I think we need people like yourself in in Creative Entrepreneurs Club and what that offers the many things. Because yeah, you might be great at your thing like ceramics or dance or whatever it is. But if you want to sustain that, and I mean that in terms of like making money but also just like sustain it in your the passion like that's in your brain yeah. for it in your body then there are things that are elements of running your own business your own project whatever that are tricky and it takes some deal at you to go why are you doing it that way yeah but I think one of the challenges that the creative people have is that they very often forget that they are the most important people in the room they are the most exciting people in the room so why would you not cover all your bases? Do you know, if you're looking at the, the dance stuff that you do, it's, it's incredible. It's phenomenal. So understand that better. Understand that deeper. I suppose I spend most of my time helping people interpret different things. So at the moment, we're doing a lot of conversations around, you know, in Scotland, it's, it's scaling. You know, everything's scaling. We're growing, we're scaling, we're growing and scaling. I have a lot of conversations with people who are in creativity and the arts go, well, that's not for us. We're not in that. That's not what we do. And actually, maybe, maybe not, right? There may be creative businesses that will become multi-million pound businesses. There there may be businesses that will turn 20 grand a year and, and everything else in between. But it's not about scaling upwards, right? So if, if, it's, if scaling upwards is a barrier and that's what we're saying, oh, we're, that's not for us, not scaling upwards. Well, then what are we doing? Well, I would argue that within creativity and entrepreneurship and, and that wider space that you're in, you're scaling deep. Right? So let's think of a different set of language for it. You're scaling deep. And what does that mean? So you are giving children and young people resilience and choice and the ability to think for themselves and the ability to laugh and have a mistake at the same time and pick themselves up and do it again yeah. and do it again and do it again and do it again and the discipline around music and dance and theatre is a discipline that is often misunderstood or dismissed 
but the discipline of it, the relentless change. And if you, if they were athletes and you were trying to shave off a hundredth of a second of your time, mm-hmm. we would we would be more comfortable with it. But if you're in the theatre space and you're trying to shave off just one tiny amount of emotion to bring it right back into something else, we don't give that the same kind of credit. But they are, I mean, some would argue with me they're not, but let's say they are comparable, right? So how many gold medals yeah. do you want to get, you know? And and actually, we don't we, we don't give ourselves all of the necessary. We just dismiss the language of one space because it doesn't suit us, and we don't then start to think, well, what is the language of our space? So I would be arguing, you know, that that you and others and many people are scaling deep. And actually, when you scale deep, you've got more chance to scale up, because if you think about it, if you wanted Mo Farah, for example, right, the wonderful Sir Mo Farah, that who doesn't love, and who wasn't screaming from her, for him. Um, at the London Olympics to win all those medals. I mean, it was just brilliant, right? But if we want a Mo Farah, okay, so how many grassroots athletes do we need to have? Thousands, actually. You've got to scale it deep to scale it up. Thousands. And it's the same thing within arts and creativity. Now, I, I get either really sort of like, woohoo, or I get, whoa, yeah, back up a bit. That's not who we are. That's not what we do. You're trying to turn us into something that we're not. And I'm not really in either in either side for that. I'm not. What I am in, though, is there's more to this than we're given credit for. The impact economically, creatively, culturally, environmentally and socially of having a creative economy, having creative industries, having arts and culture around us is actually huge. And because we haven't been able to measure it yet because it's too hard to measure, doesn't mean it's not worth measuring or doesn't, doesn't mean it's not... Um, worth understanding the greater impact of it and if you take the skills that you guys have and you that was to pick you up and put you into you know the financial sector or the manufacturing sector you'd actually flourish really pretty well even though you think oh my gosh what am I doing and yeah I did a face there uh, you know they're making metal pies to go on oil rigs I don't know how to do that but actually you might not know how to do that but what you do know is how to galvanize a disparate group of people what you do know is to organise a scenario where somebody who's playing to their strengths shines and other people who are more comfortable as a group shine together. What you do know is how to solve a problem within the environment that's in. You don't have to remove yourself from the environment to solve Mm -hmm. the problem. You can solve the problem within the environment. And what you do know is who is going to come forward in a natural leadership position within that space. So actually, if there was something going on, you could, now you might not be an engineer, you might not be a coder, you might not be a financial expert, but what you are an expert in is people and behaviour. And you can understand that really quickly. So it's a transferable skill that's hugely important. Um, And I think that, you know, there's a huge, huge, great piece of work to be done, I'm sure, in Scotland around how many people are in, in a whole range of other industries that actually came from a creative education or a creative background whatever we want to call it especially after the pandemic as well so a lot of people will be like switching like you know roles and stuff through not necessarily through choice but have ended up in other industries but and they'll be taking those skills that they have already with them that you know like you say they are transferable and they'll be lighting up all sorts of different industries absolutely but i guess we could never have imagined that people would have migrated towards but that's what a pandemic will do it'll send people into different realms that they didn't expect to be including myself like I've ended up doing some stuff I mean still within the creative industries but you know it's just leaning into those opportunities or 
going right I have to figure this out and people will have ended up in spaces that they didn't see themselves but they'll be absolutely taking those skills with them see the thing about that 100% agree with you 100% agree with you see the thing about that that is not a failure no, and I think no. and I'm not suggesting you're suggesting that it is no. but sometimes people might go oh I've t- if you take a sidestep you know do that yeah it's part of your journey it's part of your journey and actually the huge asset that that type of thinking and that type of execution brings to lots of different industries is really important. Scottish people are known for being a creative, innovative bunch. And I think sometimes we've lost sight of that a wee bit. We sort of talk about what happened lots of many years ago, where we're still apologising for what we're doing now. And actually what we're doing now is really rich and really, really impactful um, and it kind of infiltrates who we are. I mean, I sort of we need. I think I just hope that we can break those shackles of not wanting to fail and not wanting to be successful at the same time, and start getting on with doing stuff that is really um, worthwhile, but also has a has a value in so many levels. And seeing people do that on a daily basis, seeing people flourish and people come back going, "Oh, that was great. I made this choice. That happened. I made that choice. That happened." See, enabling those conversations to happen and, and making those safe spaces for people to talk about it, that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. Like, that's what keeps me moving the good fight forward. Yeah, and it must be really nice for you in terms of, like, Creative Entrepreneurs Club, which you've created, and there was obviously a real need for it, especially during the pandemic, like you say, and then and moving out of that kind of thing, because I think even... I think a lot of us were maybe naive to think, like, when this is all finished, it'll be great. But it's still very much challenging. It's definitely not finished. Um, And the landscape looks different. And I think, you know, I'm always saying to people, like, where's the CEC? Why have you not joined? It's free. Come on now. What's happening? You know, we need to be talking. We need to be Mm -hmm. connecting. Need to be learning as well. Like, I think the minute you stop learning, you think you know it all, like... That's a failure. I mean, when you think you know, you know, and I I think it's so important to like reach out to your peers, of course, but also people in worlds that are totally alien to you because there's something to learn from that. Do you know what I mean? And that's the joy that I've had, like working with Creative Entrepreneurs Club, because I'm getting exposed to people doing things that I'm like, that's fascinating. Like, and doing this podcast as well. Do you know what I mean? Like, the joy is the minute you connect with somebody that isn't in your world or does something completely like you've never heard of there's a space to learn and a space to grow and it's so valuable it really is so you say that that that's what gets out you out of bed but that's what excites you is, is talking to people and connecting what um what scares you rachel brown gosh um lot, well lots of things uh scare me i suppose so we self-fund creative entrepreneurs club so we 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 don't we don't receive core funding for that. So we have to do lots of other things that generate funds and generate money elsewhere to bring back to the, the, the camp. Um, and we have to work really pretty hard at that. And that bothers me because it's vulnerable, and it bothers me that we could, you know, fall over at any minute because of that. The flip side of that, of course, is that there's a level of freedom with that that, that you can't often get with other things. So we can react to the community. The community say, we need this, let's make it happen, we can make it happen. But it's just a fine line to to walk. Um, the things that scare me, that, that wake me up at night is when I go, oh, gee, I never thought of that. And I panic. Like if there's, because the, people rely on me for things, right? So there's team members, right? So people rely on me for money and mortgages to be paid right that responsibility of course 
But then the wider community rely on me to advocate on their behalf or to be in a room and connect things up that other people can't connect. Um, so, you know, we, we sit, I sit at many, many groups and different um, UK level and, and uh, Scottish level and Welsh level and all these kind of groups to make sure the voices are heard. So I feel a, an acute sense of responsibility there. So it bothers me, it frightens me when I think, oh, I didn't get that right, oh my God. And I have that kind of panic about, shit, I never saw that coming. I try not to be in that space. It bothers me, like everybody, you don't know what you don't know. There's always a moment where you go, oh, I never knew that. Right, that has an impact on this, this, and this. So I, I do take, I take, I do take risks. I take measured risks, though. Um, I'm not as much of a uh, a maverick as uh, others may think I am. I take, I take <laughs> okay. measured risks um, because I've, I've kind of laid yes. the crumbs to know where that might take us. I do sort of, I'm in it for the long game, and the long game is exhausting. So, um, running at a steam scares me. Uh, not being as prepared as I should be scares me. Um, you know, waking up in the middle of the night going, damn it, I shouldn't have done that. That's a horrible feeling. Um, you know, you get the email where somebody says, and you go, oh, you know that moment you go, oh, God, that scares me. Yeah. The, the, the thing that I've learned, though, in all the years I've been doing this kind of thing is is how to... Uh, how to react to that you can choose how you react to that and there might be some times where you just need to shut the door for a day and go do you know what sod this I've had enough or you kind of mm. regroup and go right what happens and it's really interesting because I've got a bit of a reputation of never asking for help which I think is really interesting because I ask for help all the time I might just not ask it directly but I do ask for mm-hmm. help all the time and and um you know, a reputation for maybe just going, just going off and doing it on our own and all. It's none of those things. You know, we're a community and I do it all with the community uh, around us and with us and with lots of different people sort of in tow along that journey. But it's because it's not a, it's not as transactional as others may want it to be. It's maybe a bit more nuanced. Yeah, but like you say, the buck stops with you for, you know, a lot of the decisions and, you know, you're obviously comfortable in that space and you're confident in that space but it doesn't come without its challenges and moments of because you're a human being you're still learning and and actually you you've got to know yourself where you are comfortable like I'm comfortable being in charge I don't like not being in charge that makes me uncomfortable and actually you know you know me saying that if I was a guy saying that in some of the circles I'm in they've got a dead strategic what a leader you know as a woman it's like oh look at her she's dead ambitious and she's calculated what kind of ego is that where she doesn't want to give up control? It's not about control. Wrong words, people. If I'm in charge of something, then I know the decisions I've made and I'll take responsibilities for those decisions. I've been in many, many situations, I'm sure everybody has, yourself and others listening, where a decision has been made and you're not in control of the consequences and the person who's made that decision does not take responsibility for those consequences. And that is horrible and I take that part of my job and my contribution to everything else I do really seriously like if I've, if I've balled something up I'll take the blame if that's the words we use I'll stand up for that it's my responsibility not to be in that position often but if I am in that position I'll take the heat 
you know, I, I've always said to, I was chair of an organisation once and the brilliant, brilliant chief exec, I absolutely love him, bumped into the match the last week, brilliant, brilliant guy. And I remember having the conversation with saying to him, you know, my job is to walk through the traffic. So if, if the success is there, you take that success and you have that gold star, 100%. My job is to walk through the traffic to make sure that we're not in a vulnerable position. And if we are, then that's my job to step up and take responsibility. And I think if you're in a leadership position, it, being a leader is not a glory environment. I don't. I, it's not something I get, you know, I've proudly never wore, I've never won an award, rather proudly. Like if we've got success, we've, we've all got success. I don't see me going and saying, oh, look at how cool we are. And I did this and I did that. I, I'm not an I person, I'm a we person. I think when you're, when you're a leader, you have to be able to be very clear of what kind of leadership style you have. And I, I have come over the years to the conclusion that my favourite style of leadership is service leadership. I'm here to serve people and to push forward and help them get where they need to get to. And that that comes at a cost and a price and all of those things, but also it's not about me. And, you know, that's the first kind of rule of community arts, isn't it? Like, and I go right back yeah. to back in the day, my yeah. first... There's no, there's no team. team. And the first uh, rule of community arts is like, you know, the first thing you always learn when you're in a community is, you know, and I've done my stripes and Pollock at nine o'clock on a Tuesday night in the pouring rain. You know, I've done I've done those drama clubs and music clubs and dance troops. Um, the first thing, it's not about you. Do you know, the environment that you walk into, it's not about you. It's about the people standing in front of you, their needs and wants and how you can use your skill and expertise to enable something great to happen with them, for them, not to them. And you cannot learn on their time. Correct. And I, 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 that's a lesson that I've taken with me from my community. Straight into the world I do now is that you cannot learn your craft on somebody else's time who is in a vulnerable situation that needs you. So when I was teaching you know, young people who have either been in prison or young people who are for whatever reason excluded from mainstream education and they can't understand me, that's my problem. They can't engage with me, that's my problem. It's not up to them and me to learn on their engagement time. I have to learn quicker yeah. than that and I have to learn outside of that. Spot and that's on. where I think my obsession with preparation comes from. Ready for all eventualities. Ready for... Everybody go, that's amazing, to everybody go, oh, Rachel, that's a lot of shit. And everything else in between. Right? <laughs> Been there. But you know, it's like, <laughs> you always end up with two, it's still the same for me, you always end up with two things. Either people cling to you like glue because they've never had that experience before. And they don't know what to do with it. They're just looking at you bewildered the whole time. You're an actual person who does this for a job. What is What's that about? Here? You're the same age as my totally. <laughs> And I'm like, and also, and also the thing, do you know the thing I love about all of that as well is that you start to have that tussle with people, especially with young people. And I love that kind of um, 14, 15, 16, 17 age group, right, where they're really like pushing at the reach. Oh, and they're really like right in your, they're right in your space, in your face, and they're pushing it. And they think because you're there to do drama or music or or just uh, sometimes entrepreneurship or leadership, whatever it is I talk about, and they think that you're going to be a pushover and they think that they're going to run rings around you because they think it's not serious because you're having a laugh or whatever. And you slowly get them into the space where all of a sudden, you know, 25, 30 minutes in, you could hear a pin drop and everybody's hanging on your every word. And you're thinking, now, let's see what you've got. Let's see how brilliant you guys really are. Give it to me. 
because I can absorb it all and I want to see something fantastic. And you just see that moment where the people start to go, oh, wait a minute. And actually, sometimes people are really uncomfortable and they kick off and it all goes mental and that's fine and they storm out and all that and that's all fine. And sometimes people just stick to you like glue because they've never they've never felt that way before. And I think that any person and millions of people I've met, thousands of people, millions of people I've met in the arts and creativity can create the environment where people start to behave like that. And and I, I think that training has set me up really well for the work I do now, which is about advocacy and influence and support and creating environments where creativity and, and people who are in that space flourish and businesses flourish and businesses understand how they can flourish the nuances that are required, the understanding of people's behaviour that's required when you're in some extreme situations is really, it's invaluable. So I spend a lot of time in commercial organisations helping them be social and creative and social and creative organisations helping them be commercial. And when I'm in a, in a commercial room and potentially, you know, there's four or five or six people all kind of had a fairly linear trajectory, you know, they've done all the right things, they made all the right choices in theory. And they've maybe worked for a particular business for 10 or 16 years and they've worked their way up. They find themselves in the executive suite and then somebody like me comes along to help them with their leadership or their change management. And we're doing a workshop with comedians to help them learn how to tell their story. And they're just bewildered by it. They're just completely bewildered by why this is even important or necessary or even part of their day job because they are serious. They are a serious outfit. And speaking to those people around the kind of the way that they conduct, the way that they, they speak to people, the way that they behave with people, the way that they engage with people, it goes one of two ways. One, they're horrified because the soft stuff is the hardest stuff. And, and when I'm in that business environment, I always maintain with people, you can't get a hard outcome without learning the soft stuff first. Um, if you want the hard metrics, all the money here and blah, 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 you gotta you got to tackle the soft stuff. You've got to understand people's motivations. You've got to understand why they're coming in to engage with you and all this stuff. So people are either horrified that there's a transformation required or they just sort of, they don't even know what to do with it. They just sort of sit back and it all washes over them. It's really <laughs> fascinating because I've done, I've done a workshop like that not that long ago. And then recently I was in a workshop which was maybe full of about 17 creative people who just were all like, you know, flinging it all about. Just water off a duck's back, oh, flinging it all about. They were like, oh! Whew, that was great. You know, whew, yeah, I feel a wee bit energised now. I know, it's so funny when I go into a room where it's not like that and I'm like, oh, I remember. This is not like what what I'm used to. It's not the norm in a lot of spaces. You're like, you dial it down a bit, Lisa, just to everybody gets on board. Love you, Chan. <laughs> We're just going to play a game. I know that you're serious people, but everybody loves a game. Absolutely. But what, what's resonating for me is like that people before things, so it doesn't really, it does not matter what you're making. It really doesn't matter what you're making. Like if you don't nurture you as a person, as a creative in whatever sphere you're in, but also like you're not aware of the people and you're not nurturing the environment, the community that you're already in or that you want to be part of, then you can forget it. You can make the best product in the world. Like it's not... It's not going to go anywhere. It might as well lie in a drawer because if you're not connecting with yourself and the people around you and trying to understand yourself and people around you better, you're on to plumb. Exactly. And that that is the same for any creative and the same for any business, no matter what the sector. If you can't make those connections, and, and actually, you know, what creatives and creative entrepreneurs like yourself have 
in your toolkit that others don't have is that you're the Canadian in the coal mine. That is the same for any creative and the same for any business, no matter what the sector. If you're in that space and you're on your own all the time and people say, oh, I'm pushing a door and it's not opening. And I was like, well, actually, maybe people aren't ready for that door yet. Pioneering is lonely, right? And if you're in that space where you're doing that, you're selling it on your own. Remember, you've got to give people a chance to catch up. You know, this isn't about nobody understanding you because they might never understand you because you're too far ahead. So if you can understand them better, then maybe we can get a closer connection to things and you can make that journey less painful. But actually, you guys are the Canadian, the coal mine. You're out there doing it first. You're pushing it forward first. You're embracing it first. And let's look at how we can either get people to catch up or for you to communicate in a way that brings it back a wee bit so that it doesn't feel such a uh, slog's not the right word, but it, it it's lonely. And, I, and I, that's why I was so, so passionate about us. I mean, it was crazy, right? We turned the whole thing around in two weeks in pandemic. It was, abs- I mean, people were up, we were up all through the night. And I mean, it was, I was getting text messages and get shouted at left, right and centre, right? It was absolutely bonkers. <laughs> but what, why are we doing this again? Everybody, every corner of every part of my life was shouting at me. I was like, we've got to stick with it, guys. We've got to stick with it. This is bigger than we think. And and I remember, you know, having conversations with funders like, it'll be over in six weeks, it'll be over in eight weeks, it'll be over in 10 weeks. And I was like, you've got to dig. This is, we've never seen this before. And, and, and the reason that I was not alone, right, many others could see it. The reason, especially entrepreneurial, that vibe, people could see it because you could see the spread of behaviours across many, many different things, not just in one environment. The spread of behaviours was huge. And we turned it all around in two weeks. And I was like, "That if you're at the forefront of something, if you're pioneering, you're kicking a door in, you're on your own anyway. If this all falls apart, you've got nowhere to go. So we're going to be that place to go. And we'll get it right and we'll get it wrong, but we'll all do it together along the way. And, and uh, yeah, I just hope we can keep going. Well, in the spirit of that, what are you most excited about in the imminent future? Gosh, good question. Um, the things that we wanted to take a risk on and deliver um, have paid off and we didn't know if they would. So Creative Ambitions is one of them. First ever UK programme for skills for freelancers. We did a lot right, we did a lot wrong. It's the first ever. Normally, skills programmes were only ever supported or funded if you had an employer. This was the first Mm -hmm. time it would ever been put on the table that skills programmes could be for people who are freelance and I had to fight really hard for that um may seem obvious when you think about it but it was not an easy journey we'd been talking about it for a long time before we actually got the go ahead to do it so I'm excited about what that can do because what we've learned from that is where gaps are what's next for people and I'm a big fan of skills and commercial and investment not support and grant Right, support and grant is, is great. It's one thing is great. Skills, investment, commercial, another thing. And I think there's a reliance, support and grant, there's a reliance on certain organisations that are going to find it tough going forward. And I think there's a lot more breadth in the world than we know to sell stuff. Um, and I'm excited about that. Very unscottish of me to want to sell stuff. 
alongside a whole bunch of creatives that reluctantly want us to exist, never mind sell. Um, and they whip them all into shape and say, you have value, get it sorted out. Your values and your value are tradable. Let's sort this out. And we are not selling it to the man or selling out to the man, whoever that is or whatever that is. You're actually in control of something. Support and grant you're not always in control of. That transaction, you can't dictate that transaction. Somebody can say yes, somebody can say no. If you're creating something through, have you got the skills? You're going to develop my skills and I'm creating something. I'm going to invest in something. I'm going to create, I'm going to commercialise something. You can be more in control of that transaction. It's difficult and it's perhaps scarier, um, but it's much more transformational and it, it helps you be more pioneering, I would argue, in all those things. So I'm excited by all of that. But it must be so like rewarding to get the feedback from members. Totally. I mean, there's something wonderful. Somebody said, oh, I, I was asked to do this piece of work and um, the, the terms were not um, great. And actually, normally, I just would have been so grateful for the work I took it. But actually, we had done some sessions about value and various other things. And then this person renegotiated and got an uplift in their fee. And the person said to me, I had just never thought I could ask before. And I was like, well, of course you can. And actually, if you'd asked and they'd said no... Because you, you would have taken that anyway, right? So say the baseline you would have taken anyway. You're no worse off. And, you know, now that you've asked, you can you can do something better and or different. Shy wins don't get any space. And I think, 100%, and I think that that, um, coming back to the fact that you're so important in the room, helping find a way through that to establish yourselves or feel more comfortable in some skills that you want to shy away from, um, or just be in an environment where people go, that was brilliant. Do more of that. One of the things that I, I do, like it, I split my time between one being chief exec, another one of uh, sort of being influenced and sitting in at government level and uh, being part of an ecosystem in entrepreneurship and all those types of things that you do. And then another one where I'm directly working with people all the time. So I must see hundreds, I mean, I do see hundreds of individuals and businesses a year. The re- and the reason I don't give that up is because it just it can either shatter or reinforce the first two. Because I'm listening and learning all the time from people who'll say, oh, it was de- it was so difficult trying to deliver that project for this particular stakeholder, or that was brilliant, or I'm really struggling with this, or I don't know who my customer is. And so you get into, you, you really fast track your way into, if you listen to the people that are right in front of you, again, pure community arts, right? If you listen to the people that are right in front of you, you start to see patterns of behaviour, you start to see patterns of challenge, of vulnerability, of confidence. You start to see it and you go, okay, so it's like a mixing desk. I'm going to push that up, I'm going to dial that back. So the times that I'm in the room with people, I've got two sessions this week, one with really established businesses who are really struggling in the cost of living crisis. And all I'm going to do for the next eight weeks is listen. And then I'm able to play that back into the first two scenarios that I've got around ecosystem and influence. and that Because people don't often have that juggle. People do need that space to, to, to be honest and open in that, there's not somebody immediately interjecting with ah but like what about this have you tried this and did it is the listening first before you offer any sort of support or help because yeah probably there is something they haven't thought of but there'll be a million other things that you could suggest that like yeah been there done that got the t-shirt it didn't work so yeah I think it is important and I think like doing this podcast like it is a skill to be able to listen 
um, and not necessarily just want to interject with the first thing. And I think that's a Scottish thing as well because we like to make people feel that they are heard and connected so you're like oh I, I did that as well or this one time and then you're like no 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 <laughs> like that's lovely yeah and I think you know if you can listen to truly listen not to formulate your own response back then you're on to a winner and I think it's all about you know what at the end of the day what is it we're trying to achieve for us and for me with Creative Entrepreneurs Club I want creativity and creative entrepreneurs to flourish I want people to be successful and happy and not get tonsillitis at Christmas. Yes. I mean, I don't really ever introduce myself as a chief exec. I don't get a kick out of that. I'm not, that's not a thing for me. It's not, it's, the status of it isn't the thing for me. The, the, the thing for me is being able to create the environment so others can flourish. And I've worked hard over 25, 30 years now to, to be able to have enough people in my network, enough people in around me to say, if I can't help you, I know somebody who can. And I've done enough favours for different people along the way and bartered with enough people along the way to be able to um, support and listen. And and actually, there's a real... It's the same as being a workshop facilitator. There's skill in that. And I think you get to a point where you start to embrace your skill, you become better. I'm a big fan of going good to great. I, I spent many years, just as an aside, I spent many years in, in an environment where um, I was always lambasted for not for the stuff I wasn't good at and I was pushed to be better at the stuff I wasn't good at and that was one of the things I hated about school and actually there's a quite a few things not a huge amount but a few things I'm really good at I'm really great at some things and so I've chosen just to focus in on the things I'm really great at and that's not often you don't often hear you certainly don't often hear female leaders say that especially in Scotland you're not supposed to say that well I appreciate you saying that I know you're not comfortable talking highly of yourself, but I'm glad you said that because it's so true. It's important. It's important to celebrate your wins and and recognise the things that are your strengths, and because you've worked hard to develop them, and you know, and you're putting yeah. them to good use. Not yeah, just for 100%, yourself. Yeah, one hundred percent. And I hope that that then other people come along and say, "Yeah, I, I'm going to do that too." What's better than that? If you can say you've inspired somebody to step out their comfort zone, or or just that extra push that they just needed like then it's worth bigging yourself up it was funny I was at a swimming gala with my daughter on on Saturday which for all kinds of reasons was horrendous and fantastic at the same time it was endless went on for days um (laughs) first time she'd ever done anything like it she did the backstroke and she won her heat and she she came running out she was brilliant she came and I was of course cheering you know in all the colors right and uh, not caring one jot and uh, she said mum I'm she came out and she was like, Mum, I am so proud of myself. I've done it. I've done it. And that was her for the rest of the day. She didn't care. She came last and everything else. She cared not a job. This was the one she wanted and she'd done it. And then and a couple of the parents turned around and they were like, she's proud of it. Like, oh, she's proud of herself. I was like, yeah. And actually just hearing the words, you remember, and then every other young person that came out after her, they all came, all the mums and dads were hanging out together. And all the, every time it came out, I was just to everybody, you, you must be so proud of yourself. Be proud of yourself. Every 10-year-old should be able to come up with something and say that. It's interesting, there's just even those small celebrations throughout the day, the language started to change. There was a lot more, well done. Not like, mm, you could have done better. I was just so determined by the end of the day to be like, well done. This is incredible. You know, because actually then you can build on it. It's much easier or much more productive to offer positive critique at a time of buoyancy than it is 
to do it when, you know, come out and say, oh, you know, because actually she came 19th overall. She cared not a jot. She won, she won a heat, cared not a jot. And um, on the whole way home, was like, that was incredible. She said, I'm so proud of myself. I said, what would you want to work on? You, you're going to train on a Wednesday. You're going to have to work on something. Oh, no, my turn. My turn was wrong, Mum. My turn was wrong. Fab, done, done, done. I don't, we, didn't, we didn't need to discuss it in the moment. And I think that's one of the things often, especially in business, you get into that point, right? And it's just, these things are always transferable. These lessons are always transferable. You get into a point where you want to discuss it in the moment because it's important to you or the situation's happened. Do you though? Is that because you need to say it or is it because that person needs to hear it? And as the leader, if you're itching because you need to say it but the person doesn't need to hear it, dial it back. Choose the moment. And I think very often we're so obsessed with moving forward, we forget about the pace of things. My leadership lessons have, uh, over the years have taught me that if I get the pace right, I can affect much more change and positivity than if I get the pace wrong. But that's not about me. That's about me choosing the moment. It's about taking a step back. It's about me going, OK, I've, I've acknowledged that. It might be irritating today, but I'm going to tackle it on Tuesday because... These are the things that need to happen. I don't need to tackle everything at once. And I don't need to, you know, and creativity, we're always like, oh, we're going to do it all together. We don't. We need to keep our eye on the North Star. And the North Star for the sewing gala is for the, the children to have a great time and to be successful at however they do that. The North Star in the moment is to celebrate that success. And, you know, choose your time for the critique. And I just think some of those lessons we've, we forget, and actually some of those lessons in the world of creativity, especially if you've been to art school or drama school or dance school, you don't get taught that. You're critical in the moment all the time, whereas actually, you know, from a leadership perspective, I would always take a distance or take a step back and say, time and place, we'll come back to that, because what did we learn? What did we digest? And actually, you know, if you feel bad about a decision, why should I make that worse? And if you feel good about a decision, why should I dampen that? Can I celebrate that? I mean, I used to work with somebody who used to say, "Let me tell me what you think," and you tell them what you think, and they go, mm -hmm. "Right, that's really interesting." And then they'd go, "Can I tell you what I think?" And as soon as that word came out of their mouth, you knew that their decision had already been made. So everything you'd said for the first twenty minutes meant nothing. And I just used to then very quickly go, "No, no, it's fine. You carry on," because it'd be like, no point in my opinion. As soon as somebody says those words, can I tell you what I think? I'm like that. Arms folded, sit back. You've made your decision. See, when you start tuning into the language like that, you're like, you've made your decision and you just you were trying to give me my space, but you don't actually care, so it's fine. So many nuggets of wisdom that you've given in this podcast. I mean, it's a cheek that I've got <laughs> you in here for free. Absolute utter cheek. <laughs> but I'm so conscious that your time is so valuable. And I wanted to throw a couple of hingamadig <gasps> questions okay. at you before you head back out into the wilderness. So I'm just picking these at random. I've not picked them in advance. Um, interested to know, favourite smell? Oh, favourite smell. I've probably got three favourite smells. Nectarines, sandalwood spa kind of oil. Oh, I could sniff that all day. And I think like many people, kind of fresh cut grass, Although that gives me hay fever, so I don't, can't smell it too much. God, you were all over that too. You didn't even need to think about that. Um, is it a house coat or a dressing gown? It's a dressing gown. Why would it be a house coat? What's that all about? Well, actually, it's neither, to be honest, right? If I'm really clear, 
it's a guinea. And in fact, I can't wait to get into my cosy guinea every day of the week. Like, six <laughs> o'clock comes. Yes. I'm like, cosy guinea time. House coat. What's that all about? Favourite childhood meal, Rachel? Favourite childhood meal? Wow. Favourite child... Well, see, I was never allowed to eat uh, dump, which was really interesting for me because I, uh, like, I grew up in poverty as we would would be described as and I, I very remember distinctly clearly that my mum would eat so me and my dad that mum wouldn't eat so me and my dad could um and it's funny I'm talking about that a lot because my children are of the age now where I remember that really clearly so I was never allowed to, to eat processed food but I remember one meal that my mum and I had together on our own we'd been out all day and we'd been like shopping and and we'd gone to the festival and but we'd just been wandering about the whole day and we'd, we hadn't purchased much, you know, things. We hadn't done that, but we'd been out the whole day. And together we made salad, chips and pizza. And we sat down and we had mayonnaise, which was like, wow, treat time. We had mayonnaise, not salad cream, but mayonnaise with our food. And me and my mum still talk about how I was about 10. And me and my mum still talk. I could, actually could cry, right? I could cry. Right? We still we still talk about, remember that, remember that dinner we had, that pizza dinner? <gasps> it was amazing. It was just a normal pizza, like in the oven, a normal chips and a nice, really tasty salad with mayonnaise. And oh, we were living like, living like the dream that we were. Oh, it was incredible. My fab. So that was my one favourite meal. I love that. You have to recreate that surely every now and again, just for nostalgic purposes. <laughs> Knowing my mum, she'd be like, it's not as good as it was that time we had it, you know. <laughs> it was that classic. It was something about that moment where, you know, we were tired and we'd been out and we were really hungry and we just made this kind of whole ritual of making it together and then sitting down, just me and her, eating this basic uh, dinner but we chopped up peppers and all sorts, you know. But the, the key thing was mayonnaise, because that was a big treat. We didn't get mayonnaise. The only time we got mayonnaise was at Christmas time. And if my granny had used her pot of mayonnaise up and she didn't want to use it anymore, we got half the jar of mayonnaise left over. We got to take that home. We'd make it, we'd eke it out forever and ever and ever. It's the experiences in it that, uh, with the people that, with people, that's mm-hmm. ours. Definitely, for sure. And um, the last question that I do ask everybody because it's called the Brawn the Brave is, what is your favourite Scots word or phrase? Scunnard. Scunnard. I love it. And I love being like, I'm scunnard. And I've got a necklace. I don't know if I can find it, but I've got a neck. I've got two necklaces. One that says raging on it. Raging. I'm pure raging. And the other one, it's like about that. It's, it's quite long. And it's silver and it says scunnard. Must be such a talking point when you wear it. Do you know the funny thing is, I, I spend my time with such a diverse group of people that if I, especially if I'm on a UK call and they're like, everyone goes, oh, how are you doing, Rachel? And I'm like, oh, I'm scunnard. And there's a trickle of giggle and most most of the rest of the room are bewildered. That'll be the theme for the day. Nobody knows what she says anyway. Sugar and shite is another one of my favourites. Yes. I've only ever got three. These are three things I say in meetings. So I think that then maybe there's a theme. One, I'm scunnered. Mm-hmm. Two, that's a lot of shite. I say that quite often. Oh, that's a lot of shite. And three, <laughs> somebody will say, how's it going? I go, well, you know, usual sugar and shite. But I think it's really interesting because I don't actually think about it that often. But I say that. I say that loads of meetings, like no matter who I'm with. It's funny because people think you should either 
dial it back or dial it whatever I, I, I don't ever think about it and also the raging thing as well like it's important to be raging about things that matter like we shouldn't be apologising for being scunnered or raging and you can and you can do that positively like I could be really raging with somebody or something and have that conversation positively without being annoyed or insulting or challenged and I think that that is something we do absolutely need to work on in terms of our leadership styles within Scotland in particular we we, we think it's okay to be annoyed and then grumpy well actually I, I don't need to be grumpy to you I'm raging at the situation and I'm annoyed at the situation but I don't have to be insulting or grumpy to you I just have to be able to give you the facts of how I see them um, and this is why this needs to change and, and why either something's unacceptable or, or whatever. You know, I'm a big believer of having really good conversations and really negative conversations with the equal amount of sort of finesse and positivity because people, I mean, Maya Angelou says this brilliantly, doesn't she? You know, pe- people often forget what you say, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. Well, Rachel Brown, you are nice gunner, that's for sure. <laughs> I've loved this. Thanks so much for coming on the Brown the Brave. You are indeed Brown Brave for sure. Epitome of, and um, yeah, I just I'm I'm just thrilled that I know you and that I was able to make this happen on my podcast. This is this is very special. Thank you so You're much. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Brown the Brave, a podcast about people and their passions. Join us next time for more insight and inspiration from my wonderful guests. Bye for now.